Earlier this week, the New York Times published an article that exposed that the CDC has been withholding information about COVID for the last two years. Not all that shocking. We're going to talk about it in today's podcast. And we're also going to talk about how the New York Times accidentally made a case for limited government and capitalism. This is Whitney Short. Welcome to the Whitney Short Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Whitney Short Show. So I like to put this little disclaimer at the front sometimes because if you've listened to some of the last few episodes, you know that I usually record this at night in our apartment. We live in a one-bedroom apartment, and life just happens. Sometimes things happen. Sometimes the dogs bark. Sometimes Kendall makes himself a cup of tea or a sandwich, and tonight he's in the other room listening to a show. So if you hear it in the background... It is what it is. I just put a post up on Instagram or in stories, um, just encouraging people, like, if there's something that you want to do, just go do it and don't wait until things are perfect or until you feel like it, because then you'll never do it. And I'm trying to take my own advice tonight <laughs> because things are definitely not perfect. And to be honest, I, I really don't feel like podcasting tonight at all, but we are here and we are doing the thing because I know if I don't, I'm going to wish I had. So here we are. We are going to talk about an article that the New York Times published this past Sunday, February 20th, and it is about the CDC withholding information for the past two years. Now, I know most of us probably are not surprised at this at all. It's just nice to see it admitted in such a big publication. And I kind of waited a couple of days watching the news to see if they would talk about this some more and not very many news outlets did. It was highlighted um, on Fox News, of course, and the Daily Wire highlighted it. But outside of that, not many people were talking about it. Now, I know that part of that probably has to do with all that's going on in Russia and Ukraine right now. That's what everyone's focused on. Um, So that's part of the reason. But also, they don't want you focus on this because you're supposed to trust the CDC. They don't want you to not trust them because then, you know, you might not get vaccinated. Okay. So first we're going to go through the article, kind of take a bird's eye view of it and give you the background on it. And then we're going to go over three points that I took away from this. Number one is this is just a prime example, how the left believes that they have all the answers and all the solutions and that you as the average American are unable to properly interpret it and make your own decisions. I mean, you can make your own decisions, but they would be the wrong ones. So therefore they have to withhold and censor information and they believe they have a proper right to do this. This article, perfect demonstration of that. Uh, The second point, the next two points actually, and I don't believe this is the New York Times intention, um, but they illustrate for us why the founding fathers thought it best that most government should be left to local and state authorities instead of being enacted out on a federal level. So they demonstrate that for us in this article. And they also, at the very end, make a case for why capitalism is our best option right now and socialism sucks. All right, so we're going to take a look at three examples of how that the article cited of how the CDC 
withheld data. So it said that for more than a year, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has collected data on hospitalizations for COVID-19 in the United States and broken it down by age, race, and vaccination status, but has not made most of the information public. So secondly, when the CDC published the first significant data on the effectiveness of boosters in adults younger than 65 two weeks ago, it left out the numbers for a huge portion of that population, 18 to 49-year-olds, the group least likely to benefit from extra shots because the first two doses already left them well-protected. So they are skewing the data. They left out a whole group of people there so they could skew the data to say what it wanted to say so that they could then say people needed to go get boosters, even if that was not the case. Then thirdly, the agency recently debuted a dashboard of wastewater data on its website that will be updated daily and might provide early signals of an oncoming surge of COVID cases. So supposedly um, they can analyze wastewater and see, determine when the next outbreak will be or a lot of information. I don't understand that all, but they say they can do this. And states and local governments have been submitting this data. Uh, not all states and local governments, but a good number of them have been submitting this data to the CDC for the last two years. And they are just now releasing some of that. And we'll talk about why that matters here in a second. So for two full years here into the pandemic, the agencies leading the country's responsible response to the public health emergency has published only a tiny fraction. This is coming from that article. They have published only a tiny fraction of the data it has collected. And this is several people familiar with the data have said this. So how could this information have helped? Well, number one, it could have helped state and local health officials better target their efforts to bring the virus under control. So we talked about um, when I gave you guys the overview of those three points. Um, this is the case where these big bureaucracies are, that's what our government has turned into as a bureaucratic government rather than a federal one. It just doesn't work. It's not efficient. So this data could have helped state and local health officials better target their efforts to bring the virus under control. Um, it could have detailed timely data on hospitalizations by age and race would help health officials identify and help the populations most at risk if they knew who was being hospitalized and for what? Was it just with COVID or were they coming in for other things and happened to have COVID? Um, information on hospitalizations and death by age and vaccination status would have helped with whether healthy adults needed booster shots. Again, going back to what we just talked about a little earlier. And wastewater surveillance across the country would spot outbreaks and emerging variants early. Okay, so that are some ways this information, all this information that they've been withholding for two years could have helped. Instead of having that information provided by the leading health organization in the world, or at least one of the leading health organizations in the world, we were forced to rely on other countries for our data, um, especially Israel. And a doctor off of it noted, he stated that there is no reason that they should be better, talking about Israel, at collecting and putting forth data than we were. The CDC is the principal epidemiological agency in this country. And so you would like to think the data came from them. The CDC has something like 21,000 employees 
there is no reason or excuse for why they should not have been able to collect and distribute this data. That's literally their job. Okay, so what are the reasons that they said that they had for withholding this information? So Kristen Norland is a spokeswoman for the CDC. She said that the agency has been slow to release the different streams of data because basically at the end of the day, it's not yet ready for prime time. She said the agency's priority when gathering any data is to ensure that it's accurate and actionable. If only this was true. A few months ago, The Atlantic debunked a study. I don't know if the CDC conducted the study or if they were just citing it as support for mask mandates in schools, but they cited a study for support for masking kids at school. And when people dug into the study, they found that the schools that they were comparing, the two schools that they were comparing, one had been closed for six months of the study while the other one remained opened. What happened about accurate data? I mean, obviously that study should never have even hit prime time, but that's the one they were talking about on national TV and in news articles to support why we need to be masking our kids. So keep wishing, Kristen. They said that, let's see, it was also due to outdated systems. Dr. Daniel Jernigan, the agency's deputy director for public health science and surveillance, said the pandemic exposed the fact that data systems at the CDC and the state levels are outmoded and not up to handling large volumes of data. So the CDC is incompetent. Who knew? Scientists are trying to modernize the systems, he said. Again, this is this is their job. Yet they don't have the systems to do their job. Where are all those billions of dollars of our tax dollars that go to the CDC? Like, what are they using it for? If they can't even get systems that work and that stay up to date. This is just another example of why a bureaucratic government system is inefficient. It doesn't work. And it hurts people in the long run. Because meantime, while their systems are all outdated and not working and supposedly they're not able to gather this data and distribute it, people are suffering because of it. They also cited bureaucracy as a reason. The CDC also has multiple bureaucratic divisions that must sign off on important publications and its officials must alert the Department of Health and Human Services, which oversees the agency and the White House of their plans. The agency often shares data with states and partners before making data public. Those steps can add delays. So again, bureaucracy doesn't, it's inefficient. It doesn't work well. This is why things should be handled at a state and local level and not at the federal level. They also cited politics. Crazy because I thought the CDC wasn't supposed to be political. I mean, that's what I've been told the last two years. The CDC is a political organization as much as it is a public health organization, said Samuel Scarpino, managing managing director of pathogen surveillance at the Rockefeller Foundation's Pandemic Prevention Institute. The steps that it takes to get something like this released are often well outside of the control of many of the scientists that work at the CDC. Okay, valid. The scientists may not be able to do that, but it thinks, at least for acknowledging, that the CDC is a political organization. Okay, it's not neutral. Okay, finally, the last reason that was given, and this is what really gets to the heart heart of the issue here. This is the main reason why they did not 
while they withheld information. And that is the fear that the information might be misinterpreted, Miss Nordland said. Now remember, she is the, what is she? She's a spokeswoman. She's a spokeswoman for the CDC. According to a federal official familiar with the effort, the CDC has been routinely collecting information since the COVID vaccines were first rolled out last year. So this is in regards to the vaccines. They have been collecting data from the beginning for two years. So this is just in regard to the vaccines. The main reason they withheld the data is because they might be misinterpreted as the vaccines being ineffective. I mean, could it be that the vaccines are ineffective and the data shows that and that's why people would draw, make that interpretation? The vaccines don't prevent contraction or transmission. They can mitigate hospitalization and or death possibly, but they're not going to keep people from getting it or from transmitting it. So therefore, they are ineffective. The article states that the experts dismiss the potential misuse or misinterpretation of data as an acceptable reason for not releasing it. Uh, Ms. Rivera said, we are at a much greater risk of misinterpreting the data with data vacuums and sharing it with the data with proper science, communication, and caveats. So they don't want you to be able to ask questions and draw your own conclusions because then you might become an anti-vaxxer and not get the vaccine. That's what they mean by a data vacuum. They, they're worried about people saying that you should have a right to ask questions, that you should have a right to make your own decision. And they're targeting what they like to label anti-vaxxers, which a lot of people who are refusing the vaccine are not necessarily anti-vaxxers. They just have questions and concerns. Um, but, you know, it's just easy to slap a label on somebody instead of actually listen to them and educate them and respect them enough to make a decision for themselves. The article did quote a couple of what they call experts um, who pushed back on this argument that the data needed to be withheld because it would be misinterpreted. They pushed back on that and said that we have been begging for that sort of granularity of data for two years. This comes from Jessica Milati Rivera. And she helped head up a project called the COVID Tracking Project. That project ended in 2021, but they were a private group that was trying to collect and track COVID data because I guess they maybe thought, I don't know, I don't really know. I was going to say maybe they thought the CDC wasn't doing it. I really have no idea. But they realized that the information wasn't getting out there, so they were making an attempt to make that happen. She says that a detailed analysis analysis builds public trust and it paints a much clearer picture of what's actually going on. I mean, it seems like that would be common sense that if you're honest with people that they will trust you more and that if you have a clear picture of what's going on, then you can actually make a decision about policies and procedures that actually work and explore other options besides the ones that you've already decided are the best because they may not be the best. Dr. Paul Offit stated, tell the truth, present the data. I have to believe that there is a way to explain these things to people. I have to believe that there is a way to explain these things so people can understand it. And he is right. 
you can explain things in a way that people can understand them. Like we should have been being educated all along and not just told what to do. Education, educate, don't mandate. There, how about that? Let's put that on a t-shirt. The CDC is not the only one who has been withholding information um, like this. On Thursday, public health officials in Scotland said they would stop releasing data on COVID hospitalizations and deaths by vaccination status because of similar fears that the figures would be misrepresented by anti-vaccine groups. And one of the stories that they cite as an example of where this misrepresentation happened was a up in Massachusetts Sorry, I'm trying to find it right here in my notes. So when the Delta variant caused an outbreak in Massachusetts last summer, the fact that three quarters of those infected were vaccinated led people to mistakenly conclude that the vaccines were powerless against the virus, validating the CDC's concern. Three quarters of those infected were vaccinated. So, okay, vaccine was powerless. They article goes on to state that, but that could have been avoided if the agency had educated the public from the start that as more people are vaccinated, the percentage of vaccinated people who are infected or hospitalized would also rise. I don't really understand how they think that that is proving their point. In both of those instances, vaccinated people are contracting COVID and being hospitalized. I don't even understand how they're proving their point here. It's very confusing to me. Okay, two more quick points on the article before we get to the three main points that I talked about at the very beginning. So one final reason that Ms. Nordley confirmed for withholding this information is that the data represents only 10% of the population of the United States. And here is where the New York Times actually kind of fact checks her good for them. Credit where credit's due. They said, but the CDC has relied on the same level of sampling to track influenza for years. So not a valid reason or good excuse for withholding information from us for the last two years. And then finally, going back to that wastewater um, issue that they talked about at the beginning where state and local governments Some of them have been submitting data to the CDC for the last two years. They have not released any of this data. And they say that some of of the reason for that is legitimate because um, the CDC has been building a wastewater system since September 2020 and the capacity to present the data over the past few months. So this is a project that they've been working on that they would be able to utilize and get the information out there. I don't know a lot about that. I'm not going to pretend to know a lot about that here. Um, What is interesting about this point is that the private sector, state and local governments have been the ones providing the service for people to track this data to help um, recognize outbreaks and get information from it. And um, you can obviously tell like, I don't know a lot about this, but um, it's been the private sector and state and local governments that have been doing this effectively and been sending data to the CDC. And now the CDC is trying to roll out a program to be able to do this. And they've had this information in, you know, 
it's the CDC. It's a big bureaucratic thing. It's politics. So again, it's inefficient and it takes a long time. So now we're going to transition and end on those three main points here at the end. I like to always kind of point out the mindset behind the left and the, I don't know, the ideology because they claim to be compassionate. They claim to respect the dignity of people, but when you actually listen to them, they do not respect the dignity of people. Um, they believe that the average person is incapable of anything, really. I mean, incapable of reading information, analyzing it, assessing it, making their own decisions, because they want you to make a certain decision. So if you come to a different conclusion, than they do, then you're wrong. So they therefore have to withhold information and censor information because they want you to come to their conclusion because they know best. And they're so adamant that they are right. They put themselves on this moral high ground that justifies everything that they do. And oftentimes their policies end up hurting people instead of actually helping them. So maybe sometimes their policies or their sound good in theory, but when played out in real life, we're not living in theory here. We're living in real life. And when played out in real life, they are often ineffective and harmful. And we have been seeing that for the past two years, regards to lockdowns, they only maybe helped reduce death by 0.2%. And instead, people have felt lonely, they have felt isolated, they have felt depressed, they have felt anxious, suicides have gone up, drug use has gone up, domestic abuse has gone up. And when we're talking domestic abuse here, we are talking about mostly women and children, the people that they say that they are for and that they are defending and that they are taken care of. Kids have been missed out on meals because a lot of kids get some of their meals at school. That's how they are fed. They are, kids are suffering a lot of consequences from being locked up and masked up. They are not developing. Their education has fallen. There have been a lot of consequences. Dying from COVID is not the worst thing that can happen to a person. It's not the worst thing that can happen to society. Is it sad? Yes. Do we want to mitigate it as much as possible? Yes. But when information is withheld and censored so that they can force people to do what they want them to do, that's not helping people. That is harming people. So I think we've got to always go back to the left and point out that hypocrisy and that harm. It doesn't matter what they say. How does this actually play out in real life? And then, I mean, I just thought it was amusing that this article basically 
makes the case of why the founding fathers put such importance on governments being held mostly in the hands of state and local because then it rests more with the people this information should have been given to state and local governments and they should have been the ones to decide hey what is going to work for us and to some extent they did but you see we saw states like florida who actually did pretty well have done pretty well to during the pandemic and have often been demonized because of their policies but they actually looked at the data and made good policy decisions off of that. And then you look at California, who in New York, who has some of the strictest measures, and they are suffering because of it. But they are held up as doing what was right because it fit the narrative that the left was pushing of wear a mask, lock down, get vaccinated. Well, guess what? None of that stuff actually helped them in the end. And um, it just shows that big bureaucracies big government on the federal level doesn't work. And we need to make note of that when they are also pushing to federalize things like elections. There's a reason that elections, the oversight of elections was left with mostly with the states because you go put it in the hands of the federal government. It's going to fall apart and become corrupt and become even more inefficient and screwed up than it already is. So we need to think about that when you keep hearing this, we need to federalize elections so that they'll be secure. They won't be secure. They will, they'll be a bleep show. That's what it'll be. And then, um, okay. And then finally, this is why I talked about the whole wastewater thing. Um, it was a big part of the article, the very last quote, and I remember we said that a lot of the private sector and so state and local governments were the ones involved in this. And the last quote from Ms. Rivera said in the article said, it gets really exhausting when you see the private sector working faster than the premier public health agency of the world. I was like, wow, she just made a case for capitalism right there. Is capitalism perfect? No, there is never going to be a perfect system because there's never going to be perfect humans. So we can just give up that idea right now that the perfect economic system exists out there. Capitalism is as close as it gets. It's the best we've got. Socialism does not work, has not worked. It will not work. When you place things in the hands of the private sector, that's when that's when you're going to see things thrive. We do not want government controlling everything. Governments, people want to believe that government can solve all their problems. And the government wants you to believe that they can solve all your problems and that they can create a perfect world. It's not possible. There's not going to be a perfect world until Jesus comes back. So we just need to give up that notion right now and do the best we can. And I just thought it was so funny and amusing and interesting that at the very end of the article, that's what they closed on. And they made this article basically, and I, the New York Times, even while pointing out all of this, how the CDC has withheld information, still defended them in this article. That's why you see all of these other reasons listed in there. And they don't necessarily focus on, hey, like they don't think you're smart enough to interpret the data and make your own decisions because if you do you're going to you might interpret it correctly actually and um 
realize that you've been misled all along. But it was just amusing to me that they make the case basically for small government and for capitalism accidentally in this article, because I can guarantee you that's not what this author or New York Times was trying to do. So that is all I've got for you guys this week. Hope it was helpful. If it was helpful, can you guys please share it out and maybe take a screenshot and share it on Instagram stories. Just help get the word out there about the podcast. I'd appreciate it. And I hope you guys have a good good weekend and I'll talk to you next week.